this whole week I've been having this conversation about with everybody, everybody is, was Mary really a virgin? Was Mary really a virgin? And it got brought up today that some people, you know, preachers, pastors will say, no, 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 it wasn't the case. <laughs> the problem is, is that the Bible says it. And the Bible either means it or it doesn't. It, it's how it is. It's our final word in all things in faith and practice. Therefore, either it means what it says or it doesn't. It has to all mean it or it it's useless. And so if we if let's we'll hop there first again before we get into our main message. If you go to the first chapter of Matthew, uh, Matthew says in 23 that in the verse 23 that well we'll start in 21 and it says that uh, and she shall bring forth a son and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled that was spoken by the prophet, by the, the Lord by the prophet, saying, "Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us." Matthew says it, and in the Greek he says virgin. He does not say anything else. He says virgin specifically. And he is quoting here from Isaiah 7. The context of Isaiah 7 is that Ahaz is under siege. He's having difficulties. He's a king. He was a king that was kind of a... He did a lot of bad things, but he also had... He, he was, it was weird. He had, a, he had a different administration. He let a lot of evil things go on. He did a lot of evil things. But he would let the word of the Lord go at times throughout his ministry. So... The thing is, is that his, he's, you know, worried about what's going to happen and that Ephraim is being, you know, is one of the, the tribes. It's being, uh, they're taking captives and it's being pestered, basically. The word in the Hebrew is actually pestered by the Assyrians, by uh, Aram, who's a, who is uh, from Damascus. And they're really upset about this and they're really worried because they, they had a big army. This was something that was going on for a long time. And so they were worried about it. And Isaiah basically tells him, and if we want to, we can jump back to Isaiah. It's Isaiah 7. So it's right after the Psalms and Proverbs, Psalms of Solomon, Isaiah. Isaiah goes and he tells them that basically that everything's going to be okay during, you know, for a period of time. And don't not to worry that at least, at the very least, he's going to have a grandson that will reign after Ahaz. But Ephraim will continue to be, to have problems. And if we look in 7, and we start in 10, verse 10, it says, Moreover the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he said, Hear now, O house of David. This is, this is Isaiah saying the word of God. And he said, said Hear now, O house of David. It sh uh, it, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? 
Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Butter and honey shall not he eat, shall he eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. So, it says in here, the term that it uses is the word that is ha-alma in the Hebrew. And people will push this on and on. They say, oh, it's a wrong, it's a bad translation. It says virgin, and alma means maiden. Well, every other time, most of the, in the Bible, it's about 50-50. It's half the time it's virgin, half the time it's maiden. Now, here's the interesting thing about that, is the definition of maiden, according to the Jewish encyclopedia. A, vir, a, maiden, a alma is a virgin. A maiden literally means a, a woman of marrying age that has never known a man. Sounds like a virgin to me. <laughs> that sounds like a virgin to me. Um... Now, the problem is, is that there is a word for virgin that is, it's Bethula in, in, in Hebrew. It literally means virgin, but it's actually comprised of two separate parts. It's comprised of Beth, which means little girl, or adult girl, and, and well, it's three parts, but the Bethula means to be like one you don't pay attention to, one you would just like scatter, like, eh. so it means a little child. So when it says virgin, it's meaning it doesn't say whether they're the person that's of age to be married but hasn't, or a young child, or nothing. It's actually just any person, but it's specifically referring to children, more or less. And we can see this if you if we if anybody wants to go to Esther and look at it, Esther is referred to for the entire first two chapters of Esther as Bethula, a virgin, a little girl. And there's telling him, saying, listen, you know, she's Bethula. After she knows the king, she's never spoken, referred to as Bethula ever again. She's never referred to as Alma ever again. She's referred to as Ish, which means woman. So the Bible, it, 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 it makes it clear in the totality of the Bible that everything that is said is true, and everything can, it, it all works out, and it's one of those things where people, well, how can that happen? How can the virgin conceive? It's God. <laughs> it's God. God does not have to explain to us how these things work, yeah. and rarely does he explain to us how these things work. However, he is gracious enough that at times he does give us insight. He gives us the ability, and he also made us after him that we are able to rationalize and think things through. And like this, we can just go through the Bible and say, well, where is the other places that this term is referred to? Where, is, where does it go? You know, what does it say? Actually, let's, we'll go there real quick, just because I, I like taking you guys over time. Why not? Uh, we'll go to Esther. Esther is back in the history, so it's before the, uh, the Proverbs and the Psalms and all that, after Chronicles and everything. Go to Esther in the second chapter. Story of Esther is after when women have been taken to uh, Babylon and after the Persians and the Medes have conquered Babylon, uh, several, several rulers later is a ruler that the Hebrew, they call him, you know, uh, El Hausasar, which 
it's probably going to be Artaxerxes, who's actually a real person. We know who he is. We know when he lived. It was the perfect time and all of this. But so in the second chapter of Esther, if we start in the, we'll just do the uh, two through four to start with. It says, Then said the king's servant that ministered unto him, Let there be fair young virgins sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of the kingdom, that they may gather together all the fair young virgins unto Shashan, the palace, to the house of the women, under the custom of Haggi, the king's chamberlain, keeping of the, the keeper of the women, and let their things for purification be given them, and let the maidens which pleadeth the king be queen instead of Vashti, and the thing pleased the king, and he did so. So here we see that all of these words are being used over and over again, interchangeably. Maiden, virgin, young virgin. That's the that's Bethula, that's Alma, that's even there's a word that's called that's Nara, which again basically means a, a, a child, not even of meritable age yet. So all these terms are being used interchangeably to refer to the same exact people. They're all referring to the same people. Now, if we jump ahead to, to 7, and we'll, say, and we'll read through for a little bit, it says, And he brought up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. So it came to pass, when the king's commandment and the decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together, Unto Shushan, the palace, to the, uh, to the custody of Hege, the, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house, to the custody of Hege, keeper of the women. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him, and he speedily gave her her things for purification, for such things as belonged to her, and the seven maidens, which were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house of the women. So they're basically, they're worried that the women might not necessarily be virgins and pure, so they're keeping them in a house, and they have them purified and make sure that they don't have any diseases or anything like this. And also that their, their skin is, is radiant and such. 10. Esther had not showed her people nor her kind kindred, meaning she had never told anybody she was Jewish. For Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house and know how Esther did and what should become of her. And when every maid's turn was come to, the, to go into the king, Ahasuerus, after that she had been twelve months according to the manner of the women, and so were the days of their purification accomplished, to wit six months with oil and myrrh, and six months of sweet odors, and with other things for the purification of the women. Thus, Then thus came every maiden unto the king. Whosoever she, he, she desired was given her to go without of the house to the women under the king's house. In the evening she went, and on the morrow she returned to the second house of the women, to the custody of Saazgaz, the king's chamberlain, which kept the concubines, she came into the king no more except the king delighted in her 
that she were called by name. Meaning, he didn't even remember the names of any other women, but he did remember her name. Now, when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Elbahel, the king, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come to go into the king, she required nothing what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, that the keeper of the women appointed, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all that looked upon her. So Esther was taken unto the king, a house of us, and to the house of royal in the tenth month, which is the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in the sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So we see she was, a, she was called maiden, she was called maid, she was called virgin, until she knew the king. And she went to the house where the women who were no longer virgins went. And from that time on, she's never referred to again as any of those terms. And, and much more, it says her as a woman, Ish, was preferred over the ones who were virgins from that point on. So it's even making a comparison. It's drawing a comparison that, that meaning when she was a virgin, it means virgin. So when the Bible says virgin, it does. It means it. And this is vitally important because it goes to the whole doctrine of Christ. Christ, Jesus, needed to be born of a virgin because he needed to be the new Adam. He could not obtain from Adam's seed because Adam was sinful. And so he needed to be a new seed brought in through the power of the Holy Ghost. This is something that it needed to happen. It, it, it had to because otherwise he would just be like any other man. But he is not any other man. He is God. God come down. So we can believe that the Bible means what it says. Can somebody say it's tough? Yeah, it's tough to understand stuff like that. Can somebody say, well, you know, I don't believe it. Then you don't believe it. I can't tell you. I, I can't change your mind. That's the Holy Spirit's job is to work on your heart to change you. I can't change anybody's mind. But we can, if you want to feel secure in the knowledge that the Bible gives us, we can be secure in the fact that when the Bible says something, it means it. And when the Bible says that she was a virgin, she was a virgin. And when it says that there was no iniquity found in her through her birth, meaning, and this is a big thing because the, the Jewish people of that time actually were slandering Jesus and Mary. They went around saying that Mary worked as a child, she worked as a prostitute. And she even slept with a Roman, the head of a Roman legion at the time by the name of Pantera. All of this is actually still to this day written in the Talmud, which is the, basically the, that's what the Jewish people today use instead of the Old Testament. They use what's called the Talmud. It's written right in there, and it's blasphemous. It refers to the fact that Jesus today, was a, he was a normal man, and when he died, he went to hell. And to this day, he's dipped in a, a vat of boiling feces. That's what it says. That's what the Jewish writings of the people who lived that time say. To this day, they deny Christ, they deny his divinity, and they slandered him and his mother. And there was a smear campaign that went on claiming this. But we... If you believe it, then you believe it. It is that God said, I will make for myself a way. 
Just as when God said he wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, what happened? When, and when it came time, he stopped them. And God said, I will provide myself the sacrifice. That is literally, and when Abraham went to sacrifice all the way back 2000 BC, God said, no, no, because you were faithful, I know you trust me in everything. You don't have to do this. Don't worry, I will provide myself the sacrifice. And he did. God, born of a virgin 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem, written, and we can believe it, because the totality of Scripture is consistent, and it was given to us through the prophets, through the preachers, through the historians of, of old, as breathed by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, God, does not lie in anything. He's perfect. So we can read this and we can know that we know that what we believe can be fundamentally sound and we can have faith in it. We do not need to worry about that. So we're going to go back to Luke. But that is our basis, to know that this she was not sleeping around. She was, not, she was a young girl. She was faithful. She was betrothed to be married. Joseph was, the way it worked, is Joseph was, was, would come make a deal with the father. Because the father, she's, he's taking somebody from the father. The father needs money or something to, to pay a replacement because more than likely she did work. So it'd be like if you're on a farm and all this, and you have a worker, somebody takes your worker, you need to replace them. So Joseph goes back to his, his and he works to make sure that he has enough money to support her when she, he comes and gets her. Well, in that time, she's waiting. Just imagine, think about Mary. Consider Mary's story. She's preparing for her marriage. She's a young girl. She's in her teen years. I mean, anybody here, even male or female, might remember thinking about when you're going to get married and, and the thoughts that you had and the preparations and the wondering, but especially young girls. I mean... You know, they, they make jokes about it. How they'll sit there and write their name with the their husband's new last name, you know, as their name. And it's a wondrous, joyous times for, their, for her because she's getting ready to do something, to take a next step, to move into womanhood, something she has not done yet. And yet her whole life is going to be changed in an instant. So in Luke 1, in the 26th verse, is where we're going to start. It says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. <clears throat> and when she saw him, she was troubled. At his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Which means God's salvation. He shall be a great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him throne of his father David, 
and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing as I have not known not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that the holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month of her, with her, who was called barren. For God, not with God, nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I thank you for this word that we are about to embark on, that we can gain a perspective into the, the way your kingdom, the, the, the way in which you work through people. Help us to see and to hear and to understand clearly your divine plan and your workings through everything that we do. I ask that you bless this and ask everything in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Have you ever really considered Mary's story? And this is one of the things that people go, oh, remember a story? She's young. She's scared. She's probably scared. Yeah. She was, this was frightening. Because as it says, like in Matthew, when Joseph heard of this, he considered to put her away. Well, this term to put her away could mean any of a lot of things. But in that time, it was very often when somebody would betroth to, meet a, to, to marry a woman, if they found that she had been sleeping around, they would actually send her outside of, uh, to uh, like a, a desert place to what is essentially a brothel. And she would have to spend the rest of her life as a prostitute. As it being completely considered completely worthless to the rest of humanity because she broke that vow. Now, it says Joseph seek to put her away privately as to not bring shame upon her and her father. So more than likely, Joseph being a just man, he was looking forward to doing something more like a convent or something to where it was very common back in that time. that They actually had a form of dry cleaning believe it or not, that they would have these houses and they would have these big pots of boiling water and believe it, they would take urine, human urine, and boil it so that the imperfections went away. And then they would take the ammonia that was in it and they would dip the clothes in it several times. And then they would take a warm iron and iron it so that the ammonia would evaporate. Pretty much the same as we do today with dry cleaning. And then they would take the garments and hang them outside in the sun to let them finish drying. This was, very, this was a very common way that women, that widows and stuff would get money. This is more than likely the widow who gave the two mites in the temple. That, that sounds about what they would pay for a week's wage for these women. So they barely lived. They could barely survive. But they were just, they would wash clothes all day in the middle of the heat. In, you know, 110, 120 degrees outside. And they're inside with a furnace cooking, cleaning clothes all day, 16 hours a day. And so these, the, the future went from bright, 
imagining a world, being somebody's wife, a just and righteous man's wife, to she could potentially be put into a situation where she, she will be in a terrible place for the rest of her life. So when the, she was told this, not only was she confused, I guarantee you dread, dread came about because she knows what they think of women who are pregnant and not married in this culture. She knows what they think about this sort of thing. She knows what they do. It's dread. She went from the happiest moment of her life. This was not a joyous occasion for her. This was scary. Here she is living her life, and God comes down and says, I'm going to add all your plans, all your thoughts. I'm going to blow them all up. And this is how it's going to be. Your whole life is going to change. Everything's going to change. And we know this because the way she responded to it. The way she responded to it in 38 is, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. That's a passive. That's meaning she's given up. She's going, Okay, do it. It's not a joyous occasion. And just to, because, just to verify that this is really going to happen, the next line says, And Mary rose in those days and went to the hill country with haste into the city of Judah. So she went to see Elizabeth fast, because she's going, wait a second. If Elizabeth isn't really pregnant, then all this is just nothing, and I have nothing to worry about. So I'm going to go see. I'm going to go see what happens here. I'm going to go. And this is one of these situations where people argue, so, well, it's not that she doubted. I'm not saying that she doubted. I'm saying that she was scared. And even when you're being faithful, even when you're being, being do the right thing, there are times you're scared. <laughs> there are times you're like, God, just give me one more. Just give me a push to get me going. Yeah. So she was scared. This is a situation where You have the, the, the potential of gossip. You have the potential of slander, the whispering, the accusations, the fact that in her own time, I mean, think about this. When Christ died, she was in her early 40s. If she was about somewhere between 14 and 16 when he was born, 13 and 16 when, she was, when he was born, he lived about 31 to 33 years. She was in her 40s. She still had 20-something years of her life left. And there are things written that are not in the Bible, but are written by people who knew the apostles, who were uh, uh, disciples of John and, and, and uh, Peter, who refer to the fact that she died in her late 60s. So she lived a couple decades after this with the Jewish authorities going around telling everybody that she was a prostitute as a, as a teenager, that she was sleeping with Roman soldiers for money, that her son was you know, a bastard child, and that they killed him for claiming to be God when he wasn't. And so she had to deal with this throughout her life. This was something that, that I mean, I, I grew up in a Baptist church. I'll tell you what, I remember there was a girl that her and her husband got married, and you would hear the people whispering, well, you know, they got married in March. She had the baby in September. That's not long enough. And the baby was full term. 
So you know what she's doing. You know why they got married. Those are whispers that happen. Those are things that happen. They happen in every church. Because we're people. Every time, throughout time, there's nothing new under the sun. It's always been this way. The difference was, in that time, it was a lot more dire straits. And this time, it's getting to the point now where almost everybody is okay with having children out of, out of, you know, without a wedlock. But it's still, we still do, even when we say, oh, it's okay to have a child, it's okay. We still, people still kind of look down on them. They'll still, oh, you know, you know, even when they're saying, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. They will still look down upon the same person they're saying. A lot of people, when they're helping people, you'll, you'll donate. That's one of these reasons why God accepts anybody's work that wants to do something good, even if you're doing it for the wrong reason. You'll go to women's shelters or homeless shelter or something. Some of the people in there are doing this because they feel bad for the per- person or because they're, they're paying a penance, essentially. They feel like, oh, I've done bad things, so I need to do good things for other people. They can be disgusted by the people that are there, that they're working with. That doesn't mean their heart's in the right place. They just feel like they, they owe a debt to society and they're doing something about it. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason. And God will accept it. I mean, that's what in the Old Testament, where that was what was happening with, with Artaxerxes in, in, in Esther. He was doing the wrong thing. He's upset with his wife that she won't go along with something he wants. So he puts her away and decides he's going to get another woman. And not just any woman, he decides he's going to sleep with seven nights, seven different women, and decide whichever one he wants. He's going to do this for two years and see which one he likes. So that wrong thing, terrible thing, but in the end, it saved the Jewish people. It allowed Esther to become queen. God will use you even if your intentions and motives are not in the right place. However... You will also see that when your intentions and motives are in the right place, God will do a mighty work through you. And that's what we see with Mary as we continue. So we're going to continue to read, starting in the 39th verse, and we're going to read through. It says, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judea, and entered the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, this is Mary's song. This is known as Mary's song. It is a beautiful, beautiful song written by Mary. And this is why we went through with Elizabeth and stuff previously. Is Elizabeth acted as God's catalyst. She was willing to do what God wanted. And because of her, Mary, her countenance changed. It shifted. And she, by, by having inspiration by an elder person that she respected, she was able to change and, and see this as, as a blessing that it truly was. And it says in the 46th, And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, 
For behold, from thenceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And for he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and has exalted of low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He hath hopped his servant, Israel, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. See, when Mary saw Elizabeth, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost from John's influence in her belly. And Elizabeth spoke encouraging words. This was a tough time in Mary's life, but somebody she respected, somebody who feared God, spoke into her good things. And God uses that of all of us. And usually it's in the worst moments when you don't feel like saying hi because you're feeling bad. When you're sick and you have a cough and you don't want to go shake someone's hand or something, you can still go and say hi or do something. God always, he, he usually uses you in the time that you want to be used the least. It's rarely on your, on your good days that God shines through you. It's usually on the days when you feel broken that God's going to use you. And I say to people all the time, it is because the light can only shine through a broken pot. If the pot's whole, you can see nothing but the pot. The light shines through the cracks. The light of God will shine through our cracks, through the cracks of the veneer. Mary was not perfect. She was sinful, but she had a heart for God. She was a good woman. She would grow into a good woman and do mighty things. And God wanted to use her, but he had to put her into a terrible situation to use her. As we learned when we were looking into Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God does not say he will save you out of the fire. God most often saves you through the fire. It's, you're not, it's, it is... Going through the thing with faith is what builds the character that when you get older makes it to where you can pour back into the younger people. If Elizabeth had not spent her entire life barren, she wouldn't have the perspective that she had when she was older. Her shame of not being able to bear children and people whispering about her brought about a softer, tender heart that left her open to the calling of God. And she poured into a young girl who was afraid, who was, going to, who was going to experience a tough life. Even at that, her husband, Joseph, was not a rich person. She, they lived in one of the, the slummest places in the entire area. When they say, when they say we found the, the Messiah and he comes from Nazareth, what is, what is the joke that Philip and Nathaniel do? Has anything good ever come out of Nazareth? This would be like us saying, oh, I found him and he's in the east side of Cleveland. 
on you know 132nd Kinsman. Has anything good ever come out of 32nd Kinsman? Yeah, yeah, it has. God uses everybody where they are. He puts those people there. He put there were people here. One of the biggest dangers of the prosperity gospel is that it makes people think they deserve something better than what they have. God owes you nothing. He owes you nothing. Amen. And you, he puts people where they are because he needs people there. People need to be saved in the worst part of the worst city in the worst country in the, in the world. And so God put those people there because they're the ones that are supposed to do the job. He needed somebody of low estate who was not going to esteem themselves who wasn't going to say, oh, you know, I'm, this is because something I did. He went to a little, a young peasant girl of no esteem in the worst place. And he chose her because he knew that her character would be such that she would go through the way she needed to. Yeah. I mean, think about... She still hasn't even told Joseph yet. And then when she does tell Joseph, Joseph's going to go through a period of wanting to put her away. So she still has hard things. It's not like life got easy after this. She still has to tell her future husband she's pregnant. And oh, by the way, I didn't sleep with anybody. Evidently, Joseph is a much better man than I because I wouldn't believe that. <laughs> I wouldn't believe that. And even in my saved state, I would not believe that. <laughs> I I just I say what? <laughs> okay, sure. But think about this that Mary had every reason to be mad at God. At God. We all have terrible situations that we go through and people get mad at God. That's what makes you bitter. Most people think they're mad at society. You're not. If you're a bitter person, and you're angry, and you snap at people, and you do things, you're not angry at society. You're angry at God. That's what you are. You're angry at God. And you know what? You can be put in, in situations and times where you feel justified in being angry with God because he puts you into an unfair situation. That's what God did here. He put Mary into an unfair situation. He put her into an un... She did not get herself into the place of being an unwed pregnant woman. And God put her there. She had every reason to be angry at God, to be mad at God because of what he would do. It's not fair. Life is not fair. It's not. And if you're going to rely on that to keep you from getting angry and bitter and you're, as you go, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Mary, because of this, was put into a situation where the rest of her life would not just be speaking behind her back, but she would have to live in poverty. She would have to go through with the murmuring, the gossip, the things that goes. She got the blessing of being the mother of our Lord. What is that blessing? That means she got to see him grow up and be despised by the very people he was trying to preach yeah. the gospel to. Yeah. He would, she got to see him beaten. Her own son, beaten and bloodied to a point that at which John says, if you saw him laying by the side of the road, you wouldn't even think it was a human being. You would assume it was some mutilated animal. He was beaten, and she watched that. 
See, she was faithful too. She followed him everywhere. She got to watch as he lay dying, as they drug him to a criminal's hill where they stuck nine-inch nails through his arms and feet and got to watch her son bleed to death as he struggled for every breath of air. She got to see that. That was the blessing that she was given. She got to see him die, and as he died, he looked to his right and said, forgive these people, and this criminal is going to go with me to heaven. He called out and said, Father, forgive the people who are killing me. And she got to see that. She got to see as he was laid in a tomb. As she had to spend three days knowing that her oldest son was beaten and tortured. But you know what? She got to see three days later that he stepped out of that grave. She was there. She got to see. She followed She got to be sitting there in that room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came down like a fire and filled every one of them, including her. And she got to live the rest of her days as a testament in the glory of God. Was it an easy life? No. Was it an unfair situation? You better believe it. And she needed the salvation that would come through the child that was in her womb. And God put her into an unfair situation. And you know what? 20-something years later, she passed on, and she gets to see her son sitting in heaven in all of his glory, surrounded by thrones of angels forever. This is a time of year that we celebrate the coming of a king, but we celebrate somebody who came so they could die for us. We are celebrating the cross on this, the worst possible death. And today we are celebrating and looking at a woman who gave of herself sacrificially when she was put into a place that was not fair. She followed her oldest son to the cross, and then she followed him to heaven. Let's bow our heads today for prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this time that we can come in your house and read this Bible that you gave us that is just so full of wisdom and so full of mercy and your grace. Thank you for seeing it fit to give a young peasant woman, young girl, the gift of a child who would one day redeem her and all of humanity. God, I just pray that this this stays in the hearts of every person who, who hears and who can see that your ways are right, even when they make no sense, even when it's unfair, even when we're bitter. You are in control, and may we always continue to look for your light in this world. May we be that light, salt and light for you forever. We ask all these things in your holy and precious name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.